Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, IndyCar fans. This is Nathan Brown, your motorsports insider with the Indianapolis Star, here for this week's edition of IndyCar Weekly, here to break down uh, this weekend's race at the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the road course, the GMR Grand Prix. My co-host, Jack Harvey. Uh, Jack, um, thanks for joining us again today. This this track um I know is a, a, a big, important one for you is the site of your first podium uh, back in 2019 for the race that led into the month of May that year. What is it like to be back uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, getting ready to prepare for a race in May um, and have it be on this road course that you've had a lot of recent success on? Yeah, I mean, I think people forget that, uh, in, in some ways, they forget that I'm from the UK. But then, you know, for me, still being somewhat of a foreign here, this is about as close to a, a home race as I as I get. You know, and I've always felt that special um, atmosphere. Uh, I would probably not even necessarily atmosphere. It's more of the gravitas, you know, of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It was the first track I came to uh, in North America, even just to see um and I remember just going to the Pikachu for the first time and just you know there was this eerie kind of atmosphere because it was actually snowing on the day that I was there but you could just feel that some like that place had stories and you know history and just the place just vibrated with you know with energy even without anybody there on a you know really cold November day and I actually haven't really realized how many firsts I guess I've had at uh, IMS and you know one of them obviously being the home of our first IndyCar start it was the first oval win that I've had you know our first IndyCar podium um, I mean there's plenty of things uh, you know in really positive happy memories that have come from IMS and I think just because we've had success there traditionally doesn't mean we're going to have a good weekend without hard work and I can tell you that everyone at my shank racing is is keeping that effort level extremely high because although we we all acknowledge it's been a good start to the season we still haven't you know quite hit some of our targets and that's you know try and qualify on pole you know try and be on the podium fight for a win so i mean we can be happy with how it's going for sure but i think there's still a lot of work left to be done and we're hoping that the hard work we put in from texas to uh, saturday afternoon is going to be you know, one where we can maybe take a couple of those things off the list. You mentioned um, this track being a really important one for your career, both the oval and the road course track. Um, I want to take you back to 2015, uh, where you did win the Freedom 100 that year. It was your second win in your uh, second full or second win that season in your second full 
Indy Lights schedule. Um, you went on to finish second in championship that year, but that I imagine that Freedom 100 in the six races that you won in Indy Lights had to be one of the most special and probably in, in lots of ways, I imagine played a, a pretty big role in getting you to where you are today. Take me back to that, um, that month of May in 2015 and how you feel like that had a, a hand in shaping where you are at this point, six years later. It was huge. Uh, you know, I remember going into May thinking we could have a, a really good month. Um, you know, 2014 to go back a year before was the first time I'd ever even driven on an oval. So, you know, that, I think that was a year really of learning, uh, you know, and certainly I went back to uh, the Speedway much more confident and, you know, ready to win, I guess is probably the best way to describe it. And, you know, the GP got off to a, uh, you know, really good start. We won the first race that weekend. Uh, in the second race, actually running second and uh, the engine overheated through a tear off that actually got stuck inside the side pod and I, I like to use that story sometimes because when we're you know when you're racing I think people forget the level of variables that, that are there you know and you, you account for so many things but I haven't traditionally accounted for an air, uh, a tear off covering the radiator so I always think that's a, uh, a funny one but actually that ended up being you know a pretty pivotal point because you know I think we were it happened right on the last lap you know, we dropped from second to fifth. Uh, so it was a disappointing end to the, you know, Grand Prix that year. But then as soon as we got tested on the oval, you know, I, I felt good. I thought we looked pretty solid. Um, managed to get into the lead at the right time and a yellow came out. But I actually think we were pretty, pretty good to the end. Uh, you know, Ethan Ringle was very fast uh, that year. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I just... We held him off for one lap, and honestly, at that point, I thought we'd pretty much done enough to uh, win without the yellow either. So um, it was a, it was such a huge moment because there's just little things, you know, little opportunities that come up that help just kind of separate. This is where, like, this is the elite level we want to be in. You know, and I think throughout Indy Lights, if we hadn't have won on an oval, it might have made, you know, some of that transition, you know, a little bit harder. I remember talking to... Michael Shank, you know, right on one of our first conversations and, you know, he had asked about ovals and I told him I'd won the freedom and it certainly seemed to give him some confidence of, you know, the caliber of driver that he was getting in me, uh, but also the, the hope that we could continue that, uh, you know, form into IndyCar. And again, I think ovals are the thing that has taken the most amount of time to get used to. They're also the track style that we drive the least, you know, throughout a race season. So it's a thing I had to make improvements on but also had pretty limited opportunities to try and do that. So I think my, my overall education has, has felt like it's been in some ways on a, a fast track. Uh, but then when you see the results we had in, you know, Texas and, you know, the intent that we had throughout that weekend, you know, I think everything's going in a, in a really nice direction. I think the next step is to try and qualify on pole and win one, but, you know, frankly, no different than, um, you know, road and street courses, but, you know, May 2015 on the whole, certainly, felt like it was uh, felt like it helped get the opportunities that I got um, you know because at the end of that race on the on Friday before on carb day is <clears throat> actually where I met alternation for the very first time on the way to a charity gala so good advice for people listen you never know really who's going to be quite around you because if I hadn't gotten on that uh, bus that day and didn't have hadn't have won you know and things like that those opportunities may have 
never came up. So uh, yeah, May May 2015, one of the biggest uh, biggest months in my career that I've had so far. Not just on track, but off track, but collectively together too. Flash forward um, four years from there, you guys are uh, a partial season program with Meyer Shank Racing, and you go and finish third, um, get your first podium finish in what was then, I think, just the um, Indianapolis Grand Prix in 2019, what we now know is the GMR Grand Prix that got the name in 2020. Uh, I know you guys were just kind of right there on the cusp of becoming a full season program, uh, whether it was with uh, Michael um, or Jim Meyer or um, any of your sponsors. What did that um, what role did that podium finish um, play in you guys eventually becoming a, a full season team uh, and announcing that a couple months later, I think it was probably what in, in October of 2019. Yeah. Um, that, that, that podium cannot be understated, you know, it's importance, you know, the significance that it played. I think our program could have continued even without it because I think we had shown you know good improvement good pace and things like that but I mean that podium was huge um and I think that was really the the green light to be able to go and talk to some of our partners and go hey like we can we all you know me as a driver you know Michael and Jim as uh, team owners you know as Maya Shank Racing <clears throat> we can all go and achieve the you know the results that we want to we just need to do more of it so again looking at that <clears throat> May 2019 also was a, a huge year in being able to expand our program, no doubt. And <clears throat> in truth, I hope that May 21, you know, is the best one that we've had yet because, you know, for all of us, we're looking to try and, uh, you know, extend and, and carry on. And I think I said to the guys all week that, you know, we don't need to add additional pressure on ourselves just because it's, in the GP and we've had good success there. It's just, I think it's just a track we all go to with, with some confidence that we, we can be quick. I think last year at the race in July, you know, we qualified really well, was running strong before yellow flag. Um, you know, I thought we had really, really great pace at the harvest GP. So I just want the guys to go there feeling confident uh, no no complacency at all uh, you know, I think everyone already knows that and they know the score by now and you know from the conversations I've had with the team last week this week there certainly isn't any of that in the air everyone's hungry for success you know they want it they want it as much as I do and I can tell you that everyone is working so hard to make all those things happen and you know May has you know when you look back from you know 15 you know, it was really, uh, really great for us. You know, May 17 was our first IndyCar start and really where this whole journey, you know, started. Uh, you know, May 19 was a really, really important year for our future program. And, you know, I hope May 21, I hope we look back next year and go, man, May 21 really led to whatever the future holds, but it would be, it'd be nice to continue this little uh, story that is there is going here. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, last year's, it was, uh, I believe if I remember right, the first time that you had started on the front row for an IndyCar race, you started second uh, and finished 17. It was a really weird race, if I remember it correctly. Um, there it doesn't sound good when you say it like that, for sure. <laughs> it was, I, like, I, I remember one of those, and I don't, 
quite remember what your race was like on track. Mm-hmm. You can refresh me here in a second. Um, but I, I know that that accident that Oliver Askew suffered, I think it was 34 laps into the 80 lap race. It was just like right in that particular window where, um, where it really played into, you know, whether folks had, gone for a pit stop or not. Um, I can't remember. I think there were some guys that maybe tried to, um, maybe tried to, or were aiming to do it on either maybe a a one stopper if it's typically two or two, if it's typically three. Um, but it played a big role. And I know Scott Dixon just kind of ended up running away with things at at that point. It had looked like both Graham Rahal and Will Power had really good chances to potentially come away with it. Um, I know Graham has said over the last year constantly that they felt like they had the best car that day. Um, I know this year's race is 85 laps instead of 80. If you can give folks an idea of what that different in lap numbers does to some of the strategy options that you guys have, I know you don't want to give yours away specifically, but just kind of in general, um, what some of the options are for the length of a race. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if it's any, if it's the same as what it was last year, the conversations for sure are going to turn into, is it, three, you know, three stopper or is it a two stopper? And I think, you know, what really drives the two stop um, strategy is going to be, if there's any yellow, you know, how much yellow is there going to be, you know, can, uh, I don't know exactly how many yellow laps you need to drive it that way. And, you know, if I remember in that race, I felt like Graham was really good on his, on his fuel save and they had a fast car, uh, you know, Scott, the same, Will the same, you know, I, I was actually just behind Joseph and we both got burned by the uh, yellow pretty badly. Uh, and then in truth, we didn't recover to the level that I hoped we might after that, when we got stuck in some, uh, in some traffic, but I think, yeah, the two main factors on a two-stopper Indy, I think, is going to be how much yellow flag there is at the start and then, in truth, how, how good your car is at keeping the tyres under the car. Um, you know, I, I've been on both ends of that spectrum in a good and a bad way. You know, I think last year at the Harvest GP, I thought our car was really quick. I, you know, I thought we had a podium car that day. Um, Clearly, in July, we didn't have a, a car that was able to carve through the field as well as we would have uh, hoped. So, um, yeah, I mean, strategy-wise, I think it's going to really come down to um, you know the, the same as the same as always, you know, the normal things. But um, ultimately, we need to try and pick the right strategy on the day, and I think the right strategy on the day depends on balance of the car and tire degradation. Sure. Um... How I know strategy, especially on these road and street course races, is always super interesting, especially when IndyCar can put a length of a race that's just like right on the border where you can get some guys that can make some different choices, which I know makes the racing a little bit more interesting when you've got guys kind of going different strategies and just kind of betting on a certain number of yellow laps that can kind of take it there. Uh, when you guys go into a race like this, how, uh, and I'm sure it varies from time to time, but how, um, strict are, or I guess how, maybe this is the best way to ask it. How, how flexible are you, um, going into a race on the strategy? Uh, I mean, are you guys really able to adapt it? It's just as far as 
the number of stops on the fly or when you guys get into a race, um, you guys just kind of have to go in with what you guys have, have put all your chips in on? Uh, I would say the biggest, factor in, uh, the biggest factor in that normally is if you see someone start on used red tires. I feel like if you see someone start on used reds, they normally have committed pretty hard to a strategy either way because I think it's mm, rare that you see a set of used reds at the start really last as long as you need. Uh, new reds maybe for sure, but after that... Um, before we go out to the race, I mean, we discuss multiple strategy options. Um, you know, and we also have a, a point now where we say, look, if this is a strategy we're going to go on, then it's 100% effort and 100% focus to try and make that work. But where's the cutoff point? Like, where would we have to switch to another point? So it's a tough one on the guys because at the end of the race, you could so quickly pinpoint back and go, well, why didn't we do, why didn't we do X, Y, and Z? Um, I think it's a real talent and skill for all the teams and the drivers to be able to very quickly adjust a strategy because before the race you go out with you know your a strategy and you talk about multiple scenarios in that um but i think everyone at Maya shank racing has been doing a really good job recently of of adapting on the fly you know i've, I've been communicating with them more in the race about what's going on the feeling of the car you know can we stretch can't we stretch etc so again if you're in our strategy meeting mate you know we would talk about a lot of hypotheticals and the only reason we do that is because we want to try and be as, as prepared as uh, as prepared as possible for whatever the outcome may be whatever the you know appropriate strategy might be and be able to adapt on the fly but i think that's a, that's a real skill i think in the ntt indycar series right now i know some of the uh, the road courses, the permanent road courses on schedule. Um, Barber is one in particular that comes to mind, have the, the feature of, you know, a lot of undulation um, around the course. And I know being in the, the inside of the IMS oval, this one um, with the IMS road course is pretty flat, but has some really interesting features, of course, um, running on part of the oval there in oval turn two, um, along with, um, a little bit of the end of turn one. What is it like? Um, first off, I guess, just what is it like running the opposite way down that stretch from what you guys are used to? And um, what are those oval terms or oval turns going in the opposite direction like for you guys? Um, just because I know that is something that's so different from um, a type of track um, or type of surface um with the the banking and everything that you guys might not typically find in your uh run of the mill road course sure uh i mean the, i think the biggest thing is just the transitioning from you know the, the track being kind of flat to even just rejoining you know part of the banking i think through turn 11 it's not too bad um there i think the the breaking into turn 12 can sometimes get a little bit tricky because there's certainly the you know, the track is uh, a little bit more cambered and banked on the break and into there. I think we're quite lucky in a lot of ways, actually, that, the, the, for example, in Daytona, when you rejoin the banking, you know, I think that step is much more aggressive. You know, you really feel the car react to it. I think at Indy, it doesn't as much. I think joining the front straight through turn 
14, you know, there's a few times where I've actually just almost dropped a wheel in the grass when you kind of enter there. That's probably the most difficult turn there, um, you know, in terms of letting the car run up the bank in, waiting for any little imbalance to happen or anything like that. And honestly, yeah, I guess it is a little weird you think about it going the wrong way or the right way, depending if you're a road guy or an oval guy or whatever, you know, down the front straight and kind of looking up and seeing the pagoda, you know, and the, uh, the pile on on the right-hand side, you know, instead of the left-hand side. And I think turn one's not too bad, mate, really. I think it's pretty flat the whole way there because if you were going on the oval, I think turn four feels like the bank corner at Indy. Uh, it's just funny because if you're not really in good, you know, sync with your with your team, you'll say like turn one. And even I sometimes think oval turn one, not like road course turn one. And <laughs> I think Indy, I think the IMS do a really good job of, setting the tracks up um, so that that transition's about as seamless as it could be. I, I think probably the, the weirder one is looking up and seeing the Pagoda on the right. That's a great point. Um, I know we always hear going into this race, and I'm sure we will again uh, on the NBC broadcast on Saturday. Um, this race, I believe, starts at 245 green flag, 230 broadcast, if I remember correctly. But we always hear a lot about the uh, road course turn one uh, on that first lap being a, a really, really important one. I know on a road and street course, you always kind of look out and hope to A, not have an accident and B, if you're in the race and there is one that you aren't a part of it. Um, what is that? Um, what makes that first turn uh, just following the the green flag or even just following a restart um, so so dangerous and so likely to see some sort of action uh, and contact from your experience? I would say one of the reasons it always feels like it there is mostly because it, it seems wide on entry and gets pretty narrow in the middle and, you know, turn two is pretty narrow in general. But you're also probably arriving at turn one, maybe not on a green flag, but on a restart, it's, it's probably the highest top speed we have on a, on a road course to almost probably the, one of the lowest speeds that we have in the middle at the apex. So just the, the level of, uh, you know, deceleration there is just so strong. Uh, you know, it's like a game of, of cat and mouse. It looks like someone's got a little bit of a gap, but then at the apex, it always looks like the car, you know, is right, right on the rear wing. And, Again, you know, Indy has overtaken opportunities, you know, but naturally you're trying to move forward at the start. And, you know, from the from the green flag, you're going into a corner that is, you know, one of the biggest braking zones that we have all year, you know, hoping that the tyres are up to temperature so you don't lock up and go wide, you know, hoping that the brakes are up to temperature so you actually stop when you think you're going to. And then it's a 90-degree right-hand corner followed by immediate left, you know. So it's... There's a, there's a whole lot going on there, mate, really. I think you could see, you know, three or four cars go side by side down the front straight, you know, and certainly into braking in turn one, you know, but after that, honestly, it gets narrow, you know, in a hurry. Uh, the knock-on effects is, you know, if you're at the front of the of the track or the grid, let's say, and you get in turn two and something checks up there, then, you know, probably not the whole field have got through one yet. And then it just all backs up together and I think in that moment when you think you should be accelerating but the car ahead of you can't go anywhere because the car ahead of him 
has had an issue. It's uh, yeah, it's easy to see why some of those things can uh, you know play out the way they do. But uh, you know, as always, not just exclusive to Indy. You want to get through the first term, you know, as as in one piece and without losing any spots as much as possible. And I think once you get through two, you kind of settle in there and you see where you're at. You try and get through the back straight well. And um, yeah, you go, you go from there. But I mean, I think turn one, turn one at Indy is always a little, a little lively. So uh, we'll just be hoping to navigate through that safe. It's always been really interesting to me. We've seen the last couple of years, how much, and I know last year wasn't maybe quite as much this case because you had the uh, GMR Grand Prix was in the, the start of July and the, uh, the Indy 500 wasn't until the end of August. But we've seen the last couple of years how much winning this uh, Grand Prix leading into the 500 can do for a driver's momentum. Uh, in 2018, you saw Will Power um, win both races and then Simon Pagano followed up, followed it up and did the exact same thing. Scott, as I mentioned, a little bit different case, but still won that race and finished second in the 500 about six weeks later. How big do you feel like, even though it's a totally different race, it's a different track, um, you know, a totally different set of, um, strategy and preparation and principles, how big can momentum be? Uh, going into the Grand Prix and trying to carry that over into practice, qualifying, and eventually the race from your experience? It's, it's the hardest thing to generate. I uh, feel like you can't buy it. Um, and I think when it's with you, you have to keep pouncing because it can, it can leave you as quickly as it uh, you know, found you. And, you know, momentum is a... Mm, it's, it's a uh, I, can't, I can't even exactly figure out how what how to say it's you know it's something that can when it's with you you know it can it can magnify your weekend you know double uh you know and if it's not with you the tiniest of things you know seems to lead to the next tiniest of things and before the time you know it you know you're in a really bad spot or something just caught you out and you know when things are hot and you feel the momentum's with you. You just feel like this little extra bit of, uh, you know, swagger, you know, a little bit like, oh, that's not going to happen to us. And it's just like, yeah, we're going to get through turn one well. You know, you don't even think about, you know, the negatives of it. And, uh, you know, I think we have really good momentum now. You know, I felt like we were, mm, I was a little underwhelmed with our performance in Barber, but then, you know, going to St. Pete, I was like, okay, like, you know, it's with us. This is good. You know, and I certainly felt after Texas, and I think we had a, such a strong run there feeling that momentum building going into, you know, a track where we have had nice success, you know, just all, all, all we're trying to do is get the thing to snowball. You know, we just want to keep momentum and keep it there because, you know, I remember watching, you know, Will Power win the, the GP and then he went on to win the 500 and I'm pretty sure Simon did it as well the year after, uh, you know, when we were on the podium. And um, yeah, I think it's just, it just gives you that extra, you know, spring in your step, you know, a little extra, confidence and I think confidence is king when you come time for the uh, you know the 500 and being on the oval because you know as I explained to everyone it feels awesome you know when you're on your own but then being in dirty air you know 225 miles an hour plus or whatever you know race pace can be 220 or whatever it's um, 
you know, you need some confidence with you on that day and, and, a, and a good GP and a good start to the season really keeps those, you know, things on uh, on, on uh, double time. And it's just, it's such a finicky thing, you know, momentum, because the time you have it is when you're not having to try and talk yourself into, you know, I think we've got it. And that like, when, when momentum's with you, you know, you know, I, I really feel that for everyone at my Shank Racing right now, we, we know we have momentum, you know, really just trying to keep it with us, keep riding that high wave while we have it. Um, you know, I have to give a quick shout out to you know, the pit crew of the number 60 because they've been killing it in uh, in pit lane. And I just feel that, you know, they feel it. You know, the momentum's with us right now. And you just got to keep striking, mate, while the iron's hot. So, uh, you know, what, what, what does a good GP mean to the 500? Well, in itself, I think it's just a little extra, a little extra confidence. But, uh, you know, if we were able to win this weekend and, you know, battle and challenge to win, seeing how our 500 went last year and the race pace we had, I mean, I think you would optimistically slightly lift your expectations and hopes heading into the 500. Sure. I'm always curious, um, and I certainly experience it myself a little bit on the media side, though I'm sure it's nothing anywhere close to what you guys deal with the idea of trying to um, compartmentalize everything around the Grand Prix uh, and focus solely on that when you have um, this massive race, this important, most important race on the calendar, um, one that some drivers say they would rather win than win in uh, a championship, uh, a series championship in the 500 just two weeks later. How do you both you as a driver and everyone on the team work uh, to try and compartmentalize your guys' focus to be solely on this road course race when you know you have this uh, massive quest looming, not only with the race, but trying to qualify and qualify as well as you can, uh, both one and two weekends ahead of you. Yeah, I mean, again, one of the things I really have appreciated about you know, Michael is, um, you know, his, his journey to IndyCar and, um, you know, in, in some ways, mine and his really have mirrored each other's in, you know, some ways. And it's trying to battle that, you know, future hopes and desires, you know, and the thing that you get out of bed for and, you know, you go to the gym and you work hard for and things like that versus well, that's all great. But what, what do we what do we have in front of us right now? And you know, I feel like I have a decent perspective on that. And, you know, I think he does as well. So, you know, simply the, the, the most important race is the one that's coming up, you know, no matter whether it's, you know, the Indy 500, you know, because I can tell you that one, when May has finished, that it will be maximum effort and focus for Detroit, you know, and, and it's just one race at a time, you know, and I think that's been the, the attitude of the team. I think the team is really well set up in the off season to let Indy have its focus and the time it needs to hopefully arrive there and, you know, be a little bit more competitive than what we were. You know, we've done a lot more in the off season that we've never been able to do before through some funding, you know, and, um, you know, things like that and a little bit more time, everyone together. So we're excited, no doubt, heading into May and what, uh, you know, the Indy 500 and being on the Oval can produce. That being said, you know, Indy's not our only effort and it's not important. You know, we, we say it's not important, but 
now. You know, it's very early in the in the championship and whatnot, but it was nice seeing our name, you know, be at the pointy end in standings. So, you know, we want to have naturally a great weekend in the GP and everything that we're doing from now until, you know, checker flag is only orientated at having a good Indy GP. You know, the 500 is nice to daydream about just in general because, you know, I, I can't imagine what it's like to win, you know, and, and the Indy 500 is what gets us all out of bed and, you know, work hard and, you know, the extra grind and whatnot. But I can also tell you that I would be absolutely over the moon and, moon and thrilled if our first win in IndyCar came this weekend at, uh, you know, the Indy GP. And that's the effort right now. And, you know, come come Saturday afternoon, maybe the effort then will shift back to being the Indy 500. But, um, yeah, I, I think in, in a lot of ways, it's almost easy to factor out the noise because, you know, I've never been a... I've never been an aggressive like daydreamer or anything like that. You know, we have we have a goal, and you know, my mum and dad were always really great about short-term goals. Uh, you know, long-term goals, and when it was appropriate to have both. So uh, we'll just wait and see, mate. I think I think everybody now has enough experience within the team to be able to just focus on whichever race is ahead of us because that's the most important one. And for us right now, it's the uh, GMR Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. I know different drivers do this differently. Uh, and, and it certainly changes whether you are an out of town driver, uh, like someone like, uh, the Penske guys or, um, someone like yourself and a lot of the rest of the paddock that live in the Indianapolis area, fairly close to the track. What is your, um, your typical, uh, home base for, the month of May and maybe it even changes between the races, but I know some guys, even though they live in Indy like to still get a trailer or an RV or something and still Mm -hmm. stay at track just so that you're, you're there, you're present. You don't have any distractions beside maybe they go get a bite to eat somewhere. What has your, uh, been your typical protocol on, on how to do that and, and get your, your living quarters set up? Yeah, I like to get an RV, honestly. Um, you know, I think there's something nice about being at the track. You just kind of feel like you're a little extra a little extra focused without having to, um, you know, do extra travel. You know, I think especially throughout the GP, you know, I probably stay at home just because I, I, I love being at home. I'm a homebody, you know. I, I, I like to – I'm a creature comforts kind of person. You know, I like to wake up and have my coffee in the morning, not be feel rushed. Or anything like that, uh, you know. But I think when the when the five hundred practicing starts, you know, it's pretty early. Well, not that early, but like meetings kind of start on the earlier side. You know, the testing runs pretty late now, actually. I think, and by the time you finish debriefing with the team, figuring out what the plan is for tomorrow, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I mean, it's not unrealistic that it's you know nine nine thirty, and you know, for me to drive you know, home and then eat and whatnot. I mean, you're going to be, you know, sleeping kind of late. And, you know, at that point, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an ask, you know, on the people around you, um, you know, but my girlfriend will be staying in the RV with me and I'm very grateful for her cooking, especially throughout that month. Um, but even if, you know, if we get done early, you know, it's kind of nice to go to Big Woods or, you know, anywhere there on, uh, you know, Main Street and just grab food quick or, you know, go out and get it quick and bring it back. But RV typically has been my my preference. Uh, I think yeah, it just allows me to zone in and uh, you know, in truth, 
even if it's just save, you know, half an hour, an hour, you know, of time where I'm not traveling or, you know, doing anything that's nice just to unwind. Um, and I've been super lucky with like RVs, you know, thus far. We've always had nice, uh, nice quality ones. I think Joseph's probably had the nicest RV that I've seen <laughs> so far. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, at minimum, you know, like I chatted to, again, Michael about this oh, ages ago. And, you know, we were talking about May and, you know, this was the first time actually going to be right next to him in the lot. But I was like, look, if you want to get a barbecue, like we'll get some, uh, you know, we'll get some meat and, and whatnot and I'll throw it on and, you know, kind of cook out and grill out. And, you know, to me at that point, it's almost nostalgic because when we started go-kart and all those years ago, that's what we did. You know, everything went in the trailer, you know, and we stayed at the track in our, you know, motorized RV with a garage in the back. And, you know, I remember my dad cooking, my mum cooking, you know, so then staying in the RV is almost like nostalgic for me. So I'm a big, I'm a big fan of it, mate. I really, I really do enjoy it. Uh, I probably won't spend every night there. I'll probably go home too, but um, it's fun. I mean, at minimum, it's always a, a good giggle. You know, it's always kind of fun to be around the, uh, all the different lots and I don't know, there's, there's a few times where there's something just feels extra like special at Indy when, when, when no one's there, but you know, everyone's going to be there, you know, the next day and it's just, it's so calm and you just know how much the 500 means to everyone around here, the energy of the place, but then, you know, you're going to enjoy that. And it's nice just to enjoy just a tiny bit of peace before it all kicks off. Uh, I know we heard a good amount from uh, Rossi about this last year, but I, I'm curious to know, I know it always happens a little bit here and there, but uh, have you ever found yourself victim to uh, any um, RV lot uh, pranks or in or uh, around the, the time around the 500 when you've been staying there these last couple of years? I have not. Uh, I, I try on the whole to stay out of that if possible. <laughs> Uh, I think I've seen some hilarious ones um, thus far. I've managed to kind of avoid it, so I'll be hoping to try and avoid it this May as well. But uh, I mean, there's been some absolutely hilarious, hilarious ones. I think when they um, when they changed Sage's car color of his uh, <laughs> uh, Chevy, I think it was at the time when they made it pink. I thought that was hilarious when they put the golf buggy on to uh you know high stands i thought that was funny and then uh, the balloons was it the balloons or the water cups in connor's or someone's i think it was both maybe maybe it was balloons and then also cups of water that like got inadvertently tipped over i can't remember exactly but it was definitely some i think some sort of combination like that maybe yeah it was it was great i like i like giggling from afar That's i like, like, it, like way <laughs> That's kind of where I'd like to be again. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, we have a, a couple questions here from fans. Um, this first one from Ryan Hoff um, asks something that I, I think you maybe addressed a little bit on the uh, Zoom call that we had with the team yesterday. He said, I've heard several in media refer to Meyershank Racing as a satellite team of Andretti Autosport. It all seems overblown and a bit disrespectful to MSR as a separate entity. Does MSR have a chip on its shoulder as a result? Um, yeah, I mean, for anyone who was on the call yesterday, I think it's, I think we might have even chatted about this. You know, sometimes it's not easy to 
highlight, you know, where as a team we are totally independent, but also where the technical support and partnership with Andretti Autosport comes. Um, I'm pretty sure we chatted about this exact thing last week, um, mm-hmm. you know, just in how that uh, goes. So I'm going to have a shameless plug and tell people to go and watch last week's or listen to last mm-hmm. week's episode. Um I don't think it adds any. I, I, I don't. I definitely don't think we should be called a satellite team. You know, we are very much an independent team. You know, our, our team name reads Maya Shank Racing, and that's it. You know, and the support that we get through Andretti is a really fantastic partnership. Does it add an extra chip on our shoulder? Uh, you know, no, no, no more than no more than it would do if we had their support or not. Really, I mean, you know. Like every, like every driver, I want to be the best driver of our team, uh, you know, or affiliated team or whatever, or teams we're associated with. And that wouldn't change no matter what team it was or who who the, uh, you know, partnership team was either. So um, I don't think it adds a, an extra chip, you know, and if it does, it's certainly not a, a negative one. I've been really, really happy with how that partnership works. And I know I've been quoted on saying this, but I've reiterated it again, you know, and I've said this to Michael and Jim, I don't care if our cars, you know, uh, one car team, three car team, you know, four car team, you know, ambitious like Andretti to even have a six car team, for example, in the 500. I just want to be the team, you know, like I really don't mind, um, you know, the, the size of our team, big, small, you know, whatever. You know, I just want us to be really competitive. I want us to be respectful to our competitors. You know, I want us to not be pushed around, which obviously has been such a talking point for us. Um, you know, I think people are either starting to know they can't do that or aware of it now. I think we've, Michael, myself, have had good relationships with multiple people down the pit lane, uh, you know, that we want to see carry on. Um, you know, and I, I'd like to see us get away from just being like, you know, the underdog all the time, you know, and being like the, the little team that could and just be the team that did. You know, I know sure. that's how you it on the most. Um, no extra chip other than the ones we give ourselves wanting to go and compete and win week in, week out. Got a, another good one here from Zach Wenzel. Um, that I think you maybe you will be able to add some perspective on. I will uh address as well. He asks, uh, the Top Gun racing testing at uh Gateway or a Worldwide Technology Raceway on Monday got me wondering when new teams come up and have their first outing at a non-series test, is the team required to bring any series staff to the test to ensure compliance or slash homogulation elements? If so, what does that involve? I will say I know uh, that series steward Max Pappas was on hand for that. I don't know if you want to call it test. You can call it shakedown. Um, he actually referred to it as an ROP, so a rookie orientation program. Um, I have not spoken any with anyone either with the series or with Top Gun to know exactly what yesterday was on track. I do know, um, you know, if if nothing else, they were just trying to make sure that their brand new Delara chassis um, were set up so that they can hopefully come to IMS come next week and get you know started off with practice, um, right off the bat, obviously, uh, RC will have to go to, uh, go through an, an ROP program, um, just like anyone would who has it run at 500 before. So no, they'll have to do that. My, I imagine that 
you know, I don't know if it was whether the series required it or whether Top Gun asked for it. Um, exactly why say someone like Max was involved, but I imagine it was just a little bit of both. You know, if you're a team that's just getting off the ground, you want to be able to know, um, you know, that you're doing everything correctly. And I'm sure same way, I'm sure IndyCar loves to be able to give a little bit of an insight and, and probably a, an official or unofficial nod or go ahead um, that they can, you know, kind of move on to the next step, which obviously would be showing up for Tuesday next week and running through an ROP and get ready for practice. They have not officially been announced as of the taping of this podcast here uh, midway through Tuesday afternoon, but we do expect Top Gun to uh, become an additional entry to this field that I think when all things are said and done, uh, we'll end up at 36 cars. Is there anything else you can add there just on your experience testing, um, especially when you guys were a, a younger team, Jack? Uh, yeah. Um, honestly, I, I mean, we never did any like days on our own or, you know, shakedowns or anything like that. I think all the stuff that we did uh, was either at the 500, you know, in 17, our first day on track was, the first day of testing uh, and, and honestly how that day played out, we w- would have loved to have had a shakedown anywhere really, you know, even just down the car park would have been fine. Um, you know, I think it's great that, you know, Top Gun were able to go and do, do that day and, you know, not just for, you know, RC, but also just for the team to make sure, you know, silly things like the timing stand is working well, because I mean, we've lost, hours of track time now, you know, because for timing stand issues, you know, just to see the car run well, um, you know, because Indy, you know, is such a, a stretch for so many people just to be able to see the car operating and functioning the way it's meant to, I think is, um, you know, really, really important. And, you know, just means that hopefully on that Monday or that Tuesday test day, or whatever it is, um, they can just get through ROP smoothly um and then the rest of their month is just is just smooth i I don't to answer the question i don't know if indycar you know if you have to have people there uh if it was rop i think you do at that point uh you know i think it's great that max is there because he's a real great person to talk to you know his experience and whatnot especially helping people get through that phase i think is is really good um there's no downside, mate. I mean, I, I wish sometimes that even we, you know, could go before the first test day of the year and just, you know, shake the car down. Um, you know, certainly it would save a lot of time on that first day, first day back. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, being someone whose, you know, steering column came apart on in ROP, you know, at the 517, I think it's, it's almost something I feel like people should do. You know, I, I feel like, Although it's such a stretch to get teams and cars already on the grid, you know, the 500, I, I think for brand new teams, the ability to shake the car down, not just in ROP, actually probably saves a lot of people, you know, a lot of uh, headache, aggro, effort, uh, you know, and certainly no yellow flags, which we have. <laughs> so uh, I, I would be all for it, uh, mandating that you, you almost have to do that if possible, but um not always possible. I think thirty-six cars. I'm hoping the bump day is going to be uh, not on our radar. So I hope the month goes pretty well. Which uh, you know, confident of the you know the number sixty on Asian series is going to run well. Um, 
I think it's just great to keep seeing more and more teams join the grid. Absolutely. And I'll add one more thing before we finish up here. I, I do remember, say, last year, for example, now it wasn't the team's first run at the Indy 500, but it was did seem like it came together very last minute with Dragon Speed. Um, they were that last car, that last entry that came together that got us to 33. And remember, uh, they missed it at least the first day of practice, if not the second. Um, they were just in the in the garage getting their car prepared and ready to even be able to take it out onto the track. So imagine, I know that was a little bit of a different situation. They were putting together an entry super last minute, but imagine if a team like that you know, can have an opportunity before practice to go and run somewhere where they can work out all the kinks and get things ready and up and running. I imagine that has to play a, a pretty big role in helping things out. I know we have a couple more questions that we didn't get to this week, but we will um, address them next week as we truly dive into um, some talk and analysis and breakdown of this year's 105th running of the Indy 500. We will talk about schedule, talk about what you guys can expect from fans at the track. If you guys have any questions about that, feel free to send them our way and we will address them next week. Um, hopefully we are, are talking to uh, uh, happy and excited Jack Harvey next week. Um, see if he can, can end up on the podium or maybe even a win. Uh, stay tuned for that next week for uh for those of you listening, I'm Nathan Brown. He's Jack Harvey. Thanks so much for listening to this week's edition of IndyCar Weekly. 